It is a great blessing from God whenever we hear from me your words from Scripture in yet a different kind of context than what we often find ourselves using them. And so today we find these kinds of words from the Scripture. How many times have we heard, if only we had the faith the size of a mustard seed? And we've been moved at those points to yearn for greater faith. As I told the children, this is a time when Jesus had been speaking to the Pharisees, those who were hungering for money, loving riches. And yet in the middle of talking to the crowd, he has something to say specifically to those following him. And so he turns to his disciples and said to them, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. It's inevitable. But just don't be the one who's causing those one of his children to stumble. That's so important for what he's going to say in just a moment. He says, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repeat, forgive him. And that is where our text begins for this morning, in the context of that call to unending forgiveness, immediate forgiveness for someone who sinned against us. And then the Lord said, and if you had faith like a mustard seed, you'd speak to that tree and it would go into the sea. And we hear that and we hear, man, come on, Jesus, give them a break. I mean, you're piling on here. They're already feeling bad because they know they don't have enough faith to do what you're asking them to do. And here you are saying if you just had a tiny bit of faith, it would be enough to do this. And oftentimes we read the Scripture and we put emotional context with, this, with the words that perhaps were not ever meant to be there. Perhaps Jesus was not speaking to them in the tone to chide them or to rebuke the disciples by comparing their cry for faith as them having very little faith. Perhaps he was telling them, you have enough faith. Perhaps he's exhorting them by simply reminding them that faith, even as tiny as a mustard seed, is so powerful that it can cause you to be able to forgive your brothers, your sisters, when they sin against you. If we just change the way we think we're hearing the words, it brings a whole new meaning to the passage. I'm not scolding you for not having enough faith. I am rather reminding you that the faith I am giving you is so powerful that you already have within you the power to do what you need to do in order to be my disciples. And you must forgive if you're my disciples. It's clear in that passage. It's not something we have to struggle with understanding. It's right there before our face. Well, let's just get to the truth of it. We don't even like the beginning, do we, in the previous four verses? If someone's sinning against you, you've got to rebuke them. When's the last time you rebuked your neighbor for sinning against you? When's the last time that you went to someone in the congregation to tell them and remind them that they were doing something that really was not appropriate? It was sinful. We don't like to rebuke other people and tell them about their sin because, you know, after all, they might turn around and tell me about mine, and I don't really want to hear that either. Not from them, right? But here in this life of community, Jesus is saying to them, it is important to rebuke sin, and it is important to forgive repentant sinners in the same breath. The two go together because taken together, the two allow for true 
community. Let's take the community of your family. Can any family survive without offending one another occasionally, without making one another mad, without doing something that makes that hurts the other person? Can anybody know of families that are very large at all that don't occasionally have to forgive one another, if not often forgive one another for things that are going on? Forgiveness is essential to it, just as inevitable is our sinfulness. I know this kind of strikes at the heart of the idea of being perfect. But the idea of being perfect in intention is not the same as being perfect continually. The reality is that we're forgetful, that we're slothful, that we're at times not our best. And at the, during those times, we often hurt people by sinning against them. It's just going to happen amongst people. And the closer the community of faith is, the more aware they will be of their tendencies to hurt one another. And when we recognize that we've been hurt, we have a duty to tell someone we've been hurt, but then they have a duty to repent, to change their minds about acting that particular way. And then we have this awesome, terrifying almost call, you must forgive them, even if it's seven times in a day. The children made it to the third time. (laughs) And at the third time, one of them says, no, I'm not forgiving him again. And then by the time we got to the fifth time, he kind of said, okay, okay, I know, I, I get it now. I got I to gotta forgive him. But it's going to be hard. The children are right, aren't they? It's hard to forgive those who sin against us, who hurt us over and over again in the same way. I doubt if many of us make it to the third time in a given day, right? So this is a passage of Scripture that touches us to the very place where we live because it's about faith in community, in our community with God and in our community with one another in the body of Christ. It is a warning about the need to recognize sin and also a warning about the need that we must forgive when people sin against us. You see, righteousness demands rebuke. Restoration demands forgiveness. The community cannot be a righteous community, nor can it be restored completely until it learns both the need for rebuke and for asking for forgiveness for sin and repentance, and also the need to forgive one another when we've hurt one another. But in reply to this, the disciples who were thinking about it in a different level just said, man, give us some more faith, God. How many times have we prayed, God, increase our faith? Yeah, but Jesus then does something strange with this passage of Scripture and this hyperbole and what he describes. You speak to this tree that plants itself in the ocean. He speaks, he exaggerates it tremendously and says, basically, if you just got the tiniest faith you can imagine, it's so powerful you can do whatever you need to do in order to be faithful. Wow. I already have what I need inside me as a person of faith, to forgive seven times in a day. This is a passage of Scripture that, quite frankly, almost gives us a heart attack. (laughs) But I thought I could wait until I got to have more faith before I had to do that hard thing. No, no, you already have enough faith to do whatever is before you in your life. Faith is not 
something that grows as time goes along. It's not something that simply uh, gives you three pounds when you begin and, and gives you another bushel full three years later. Faith is, a, is an entity that's placed within us, and once we have it, we have it. And even in its infancy, it is more powerful than we can ever imagine. But faith that is within us and faith that we claim has to be put into action, doesn't it? If we don't exercise our faith and stand on the faith we have in Jesus and do the things we're taught to do, then that faith cannot save us. It's an act of the will to forgive someone in this example in the text. It's not about how we feel, but rather it's about how faithful we're going to live. To say we have faith and not to put faith into practice in our relationships is to fool ourselves, but certainly not to fool our Lord. This powerful story about this little mustard seed says you have all that you need. You just have to be willing to act on it. Faith and obedience are hand in hand. Our faith is made stronger as we learn to trust deeper by the ways that we obey the callings of Jesus day by day. It deepens as we go along, but it's always enough for the task if only we will use it when the task comes in front of us. One preacher has often said, it's often heard in faith, you just keep doing faith until you have it or until you feel it. You say, well, I just don't feel like I can forgive them. Really? I don't really care how you feel about it. What I care about for your soul is that you forgive them in Christ's name. Because we cannot bear Christ's name and be a people of forgiveness and withhold forgiveness from anyone, even the person who perpetually holds us. Maybe you live in a family. You have a member of which continually beats up on people emotionally or spiritually or even physically. It's possible, isn't it? And here's a call to forgive that person that we have within our power to do if we are followers of Christ. That's very pertinent in my extended family's life. We have some of those people who continually challenge all of us to forgive them over and over and over again. Perhaps you live in such a family as well. In fact, I would say if your family is very large at all, the odds are greater that you have that person than that you don't. It's inevitable. The challenge of forgiveness will face us all. And it's into this passage that Jesus speaks these words. And then, as if to warn us, now this won't make you a great super Christian because, after all, a slave does what his master calls upon the slave to do, using terminology that's foreign to us and, quite frankly, even offensive. But in that day, it was very understood. A slave did what his master wanted because it's what was expected of the slave. And he says it's what's expected of the followers of Jesus to forgive. So if you're harboring something against someone, how hard is it to sing the song we just sung if we don't recognize that Jesus has given it all for us and so therefore has called us to give it all for others? I want us to have this thing about forgiveness because it's such a plague amongst the church today, how difficult it is for us to forgive people who harm the church or who harm us. I want it right in your hearts when you come to receive communion this morning. Because we have been facing some situations that are very difficult, quite frankly. 
as a community of faith, our forgiveness has been tested. Tested by major events in our communal lives together. I'll admit it's been very difficult for me to continue to deal with the people of CCA and keep a forgiving spirit. In fact, as I share with you lately, it was kind of eating away at me because I didn't want to think about forgiving them because I just didn't see how it could happen. I knew it had to happen, and I kept struggling with it. And then there was a change in the leadership of the board of CCA. And for the past couple of weeks, walls have been broken down because a new leader of the school has come over to my office finally to announce a a repentant heart, a repentant spirit, to say that they had made mistakes even before that person was ever here. Things were done that have consequences, but he wants the separation of the two entities to be done well where grace is available for all. It was a powerful moment in my heart and with him. And we are now working out the steps to be taken from a different perspective. New leadership, repentant leadership is in place. We must forgive them, costly though it is. And it has been costly. We've spent a lot of the church's money. We've lost a lot of momentum as a congregation at times because of issues that have been demanding of our forgiveness. And we struggle with them. It's not just in that issue alone, but other issues as well. And even in our struggle, we've been trying to forgive But it's been very hard, and we probably have been tempted to cry out to God, Lord, increase my faith. And if you've been crying out to God to increase your faith, I ask you to hear his loving whisper this morning. You already have enough faith. Act on it. Do not be afraid to forgive. It makes community and relationships whole. Yes, it's been costly, but you know, the exercise of faith and trust in people has always been costly. Years and years ago, when our Lord walked this earth, he demonstrated how costly forgiveness can be by giving his life so that we might be forgiven. Before we had even repented, he forgave us. How powerful is that? To think about the forgiveness that God offers us. The forgiveness that is symbolized in the broken bread that is his body and the shed blood that is in the cup represented in our faith. Yes, following Christ is costly. And what it costs is my willingness to be like Jesus. The lesson from Luke today, we must forgive because we are servants of the one who has forgiven us all. And we have what it takes within us in our life of faith to forgive and forgive and forgive.